Welcome to Resi Talk, where real estate sales instructors have unfiltered conversations about real estate with industry leaders and inspiring people. On this episode, we are talking with Danny Hertzberg of the Jill's Zeter Group. You may know of them. They're the number one real estate team in the nation, ranked by Real Trends, which is featured in the Wall Street Journal. If you are loving what you're hearing, as we know you will, make sure you visit resitalkpodcast.com and sign up for more information. Hello, friends. Welcome to Resi Talk. I'm your host, Cassandra Gallego, and I'm sharing the podcast stage with my fabulous co-hosts, Pam Victorias and Laura Gilmore. Today, we have Danny Hertzberg from the Jill Zeter Group. Guys, they sold a billion dollars in real estate last year. He was also named to Forbes 30 under 30 and recently named on South Florida Business Journal's 40 under 40. He's been featured in national and local media outlets such as the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, CNBC, The Rob Report, just to name a few. Uh, discussing real estate trends. So he knows his stuff and I'm pretty sure he's going to help me on my journey and help me fulfill my dream of becoming <laughs> famous uh, just by being here. So welcome, Danny Hertzberg. Welcome, Danny. Hey there, welcome. Great to be here. Thank you so much, guys. Well, Danny, Pam's got some questions she's going to ask to kind of kick us off so we can have our listeners get to know you a little bit. Pam, take it away. Sure. Danny, we call this little exercise this or that, and I'm just going to ask you a few rapid fire questions and just give us your first response. So are you a phone call or a text kind of person? Text. All right. Do you work late or do you get to work early? I have a one and a two and a half year old, so both, but... Uh, I get a lot more email type work done at night. There you go. Okay. Are you someone who enjoys the money more than the free time or the free time more than the money? Free time. There you go. Mac or PC? PC. Okay. Speed or accuracy? That's a tough one. Um, <laughs> I would say in our industry, speed. Yeah. There you go. Are you a vacation or a staycation? Vacation. If I stay put, I'm working. So got to go. Yeah, there you go. I can hear you. And then are you an audio book, a traditional book, or a notebook kind of person? Uh, definitely audio book. Audio book. That's interesting. So, uh, this is Laura. So a couple of questions. You know, I'm running a, a book club, Danny, here for the state of Florida. And so I have to know, do you have a favorite book that you have read industry-wise? So a book I love, and I actually think it's better on the uh, audio book, is Lead the Field. I recommend it to every person that tells me they're thinking about getting their real estate license that's coming out of college that's changing their career to me there's so many pearls of wisdom in it and i actually read it and listen to it multiple times a oh, year. fantastic i'm gonna write that down we may have to use that one and i may have to bring you in for that one you got it <laughs> we have it recorded so we have receipts danny will be in the book <laughs> danny actually you mentioned picking a new career out of out of college and that's kind of a little bit of your story isn't it? Can you share with our listeners a little bit about how you got here, how you got into the world of real estate? So I had an interesting path. I guess everybody has an interesting path into real estate. Uh, I grew up with my mom as a real estate agent. So when I was a young kid, you know, in elementary school, my mom started slowly in between drop off to school and pick up. That was her real estate career. So from 8.30 a.m. to let's say 2.30 p.m., she got a remarkable amount of work done. And it started to happen like on the way to school, there would be an occasional showing on the way home. There was a showing and on the way to soccer practice, there was an open house. So, you know, you have this in common, Cassandra, that you know, we literally grew up in real estate. It was front and center my whole life. And as I got older and we, you know, could take care of ourselves a little bit more going to middle school and high school, our mom's business grew and she had more hours to work every day. And it was a pretty incredible arc of career to watch and grow every year. But I went to, um, I went to Tulane University. I came back to Miami to go to law school at University of Miami. So my, my dad's an attorney, my mom's a real estate agent. Oh, agent. So yeah, came. <laughs> we have some gators in the house. So I have to, I have to side with Danny. That's right. Go <laughs> The local you. So, so we, you know, I came back for law school and I was very interested in law and, you know, my father was attorney. My mom was a real estate agent. I was kind of in both worlds. And this was in 2005. I found out that the University of Miami Law School had a joint program with the business school to get a master's in business while I was getting a law degree. And it sounded great. Because you, you weren't doing enough. <laughs> I wasn't doing enough. You had to take yeah, more classes. More. 
So um, I, I went into the program and every business class, I was thinking, well, how would this apply to my mom and Jill Ebert? At that time, it was the Jills. We hadn't merged with the Dieter family yet. And it would be, you know, a, a branding class about Tiffany's, the, the jewelry, you know, diamonds and everything. Oh, we're aware company. of Tiffany. Oh, we're aware. Okay. <laughs> we're very aware. Little blue boxes. <laughs> The box, it's all about the dollar website. Actually, it's all about what's in the box. Correct. I'm just going to correct you here. Correct. But, but you pay 100% premium for the box and the ring. Right, absolutely. Of course. But they were doing a huge website relaunch. And this is 2005 when the sites were pretty basic. And it was a $10 million website. And we studied it in a class. And I started thinking about, you know, my mom and her partner had a landing page. And it was time to really create a website and email marketing and the whole digital side of the business. So I started speaking to them and my mom and her partner to their credit said, we don't really know what you're talking about, but run with it and do it. Go find the best, go hire them, create the site. And that was kind of my, you know, part-time between during and, you know, the day of law school and business school. And that was a little extra project. <laughs> so, but I loved it. I thought it was fascinating and creating the website. I learned a ton about the business because are you looking for buyers and sellers? How are we displaying properties? Right. What's the call to action? Uh, when people land on the site, what do we want them looking at? And I was inspired by Tiffany's website, how they, it was clean and white and everything was about the jewelry pieces and the diamonds. And I thought we could feature properties in the same way. And I ran with it and it was a lot of fun and we created a great site and, and a consistent brand kind of, I was hooked. I saw the potential in real estate. I saw how much fun my mom and her partner, Jill, were having and, and her sister, Felice. And then I had the contrast of having, you know, great opportunities to get a little insight into the legal world and internships. And I realized I got my license before I even finished law school. I took the bar and got sworn in. So I'm technically a lawyer. Danny Hertzberg, it, Esquire in the house. Exactly. <laughs> but I never practiced. And, and I think it's an incredible business and watching you know, my mom's career, I think it was kind of, I had to go full circle. If I probably would have went right out of high school, or right out of college, I don't think I would have ended up in the business and come in with a different perspective, but it all worked That's out. Great. What a great story. Thank you. That's awesome. I got to tell you, it's completely opposite from, from mine. I know we, we have very many similarities because we both come from real estate families, but I don't know if you've had a chance to to listen to our very first episode, I tell people all the time, I wanted <laughs> I heard, I listened. to do with real estate. Zero. <laughs> Yet here I am running a real estate podcast, right? <laughs> and I got to tell you, your mom is really pretty smart because uh, having a real estate business, instead of having the regular typical beer pong drinking college student do her website, she got her very smart <laughs> attorney right. son to brilliantly put to all the digital marketing together. So yeah. smart move for mom. Yes, Thanks. You just mentioned how you got here and I was trying to figure out how you had so many hours in the day. <laughs> I think Pam mentioned that as well because you weren't doing enough. And you also mentioned babies at home and that's awesome. I've got one of my own. How do you do it all? How do you manage that time and that work-life balance? So from... Since I graduated uh, from law school with a business degree, this was 2009, almost every single year, my New Year's resolution, among a few other things, is, is find and improve work-life balance. So it's nothing that I think I'll ever like fully achieve, but working towards it and pursuing it is kind of an accomplishment in itself. What I do is when I'm working, I am fully immersed. Like my wife gives me a hard time and she you know, comes into my office and she's asked me something. You can't hear My it. brain is another, yeah, I so, can't hear I So listen, now we know but, you're a man. So that was good. Okay, so yeah. confirmed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I'm fully in and when I'm in town, I am really a seven day a week kind of guy. Uh, and I was for many, many, many years. And then when we had our first daughter just two and a half years ago, I realized that I needed one full day off a week, one to just kind of reset family time. And it's actually a benefit. You know, you're stronger the six other days yep. or five. Everybody needs a different amount of time off. And if you need the two-day weekend or if you need a three-day weekend, whatever works for everybody, you know, I support. But that one day to reset is huge. I also am very flexible with kind of 
work in life. So when we're on vacation, I will maybe start really early in the morning and get work done, enjoy the whole day. And then tail end of the day, you know, I'll catch up back with work. And that, and for some people that would ruin their vacation. And I just get into a flow that it doesn't really bother me. One thing I did learn though, is when I'm in town, I work. So I really have to leave, um, which is a benefit too, right? You explore different places and different experiences and opens your mind. But when I leave, I get that kind of you know, time out. I live by my calendar. I really schedule everything in. I'm scheduling calls. I'm scheduling follow-ups, emails that really helps me, you know, stay focused. And I think that, you know, my mom kind of jokes when you, when you need something done, ask a busy person, right? <laughs> That's saying yeah. of like, you guys get it. You're all very busy. When you're busy, you learn to be more efficient and you try to go after the hardest things first, that whole eat the frog mentality, which I always bring up yep. is about, you're saying, if you got to do something terrible, like eat a live frog, you better do it first thing in the That's morning, right. or you're going to be, you know, stressing about it the whole day. So I try to really live by that and just get it done. And I live by a to-do list also. Um, and I go back and forth. I'm like fully digital. And the <laughs> next day I'm back on paper. That legal and then I'm digital. pad, so, so attorney of you. <laughs> Very attorney on me. <laughs> you got one too. That's next to me all day, every day. I do both. I do the, you know, the digital checklist. I do the paper checklist. I live by the calendar. And there always are so many things. You can't get to everything in the day. But that, that feeling of yep. crossing things off and getting things done every day. And then whatever you don't get done today, you push to the next day. And the most important things get done. I've tried the bullet journal. <laughs> Nancy, Corey, and I were like, you know, fully in it for a while. And then I changed my approach and went back to it. But whatever works for you, I think that in our business, you have to really prioritize what you're doing every day right. and then look at your week. And I'm always looking at the next day and the next week. And it keeps me on track. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. We just, I literally just taught this today in AMP, everything you're saying. Amazing. So this is like a recap of class today. <laughs> Love it. I actually just discovered an app for this because I, even though we teach it, as Pam just said, I still struggle with it. And uh, I just, it's called planweekly.io. It's pretty cool. It connects to my Outlook calendar. It's free. I'm all about it. And I, I can plug in my to-do list and it starts subtracting from my working hours. So sometimes I'll put all these things. And I'm like, wait a minute, there's not 72 right. hours right. in a day. Right. <laughs> like, I, think I have to figure that out. So, uh, so tell me this, uh, what is it that you're most proud of when it comes to your career? So I'm very proud of as a family business and a family unit that um, we've grown basically every single year. And when I first came into the business, I was very surprised that my mom and her partner were extremely successful, but they weren't setting specific goals that, you know, we're going to increase sales by 10% or we're going to have increased, you know, commission amount by 20% or different kind of matrix that I thought was pretty much standard. But what I realized pretty soon was their goal every year was just to do better than the year before, which really simplifies your goal setting and your mentality. And I fully embrace that, that every year personally, when I first came into the business, my goal was I gave up a lot of opportunities coming out of law school. I had a lot of options with prestigious firms. And what I promised myself was I was going to find a way and you eat what you kill in this business. And particularly starting in 2009, I did short sales and foreclosures and thousand dollar rentals all day, every day. God and it was, you. <laughs> yeah. so, and, but my goal was to make at least as much as I would have if I was went into a law firm, because, you know, the, the years, the education, the expense, that was a really fire. The student loans. Yeah, all of that. Everything <laughs> added up, right? So it's like financial pressure plus personal pressure plus, you know, some of my classmates and professors were supportive and others were like, are you serious? Like, you just got a JD MBA and you're going to go be a real estate agent? Like, in 2009. I've done that in 63 hours, Danny. 63, that's all yeah. it takes. <laughs> exactly. But so that was a motivating factor. And that career goal was, you know, met in every year was to do better personally, but it really was to grow our team. And what I'm most proud of is having that growth year after year after year from seeing my sister coming and join us, my mom, Jaliba, Felice, Judy, Kara, Nathan, all of us to coming together. And we thought, that you know, over the next five to 10 years, someday we would hit that billion mark. 
which was always kind of a number that was couldn't get our minds around, but I saw the path to it. We just each needed to sell so much and so much more each year for every year consecutively. Well, COVID expedited things, but three families, two generations, and that to me, hitting that dollar amount goal, but even more so being the, the, the number one team in the country was something that, you know, we are humbled by getting there and it still blows me away, but it really is a full family effort. So that, that is what I'm definitely most proud of. And, and, but we do have the pressure on next year has to be better than didn't you already do the billion already this year? Yep. Correct. Yeah. Uh, 2020 was the first time we broke the mil- the billion dollar mark Super so far this year, we already passed a billion. Um, so we will see. We'll- and that's in like, not even a year. Like we're not even three quarters of the way through the year. Yeah. I have to know what, how did you guys celebrate that billion? Like once you had that closing that you crossed that threshold, what was that like for you all? That's so cool. So to be honest, we were all so busy. Squeezing <laughs> out every hour. I guess every that goes without that saying. When we crossed that threshold, we, we were not even aware. I mean, we, I knew the numbers were getting close and in the range, but everybody was, you know, we had a period of time where we were doing the, in six months, we did the kind of business we were doing in five years. Wow. So every minute wow. of every day, I lived in this office. You know, I would get on the computer at 8 9 o'clock at night because my calls would end for the day in showings. And then I was up till, you know, midnight, one in the morning, catching up on emails, still being behind the next day. We were fully like at capacity, but it, it was great. It was really a wonderful time and seeing the growth in Miami, the opportunity, but it was definitely Nancy Court. She, uh, she was tracking and she said, do you guys realize, you know, the milestone? And, and of course. we did not, we knew we were close, but that she was tracked a, it in her bullet journal. Oh yeah. She definitely <laughs> And that was, that was a yeah full team effort and incredible feeling. That's awesome. Wow. Congratulations. Just following up on that too. How do you go about just setting new goals? I mean, you've achieved such greatness. You're at the top of your game. Everybody wants to be number one. How do you keep that spot? How do you set those goals? You know, we are not a team that really is focused on goal setting besides doing better than the year before, but I should expand on that. It's not sales volume it's not gci it's not commission focused it's it's everything combined it's is our is the customer satisfaction better than the year before and we don't want satisfied customers we want raving fans another book i love by the way for for the book that's a great book Um, (laughs) we're getting a whole list we've got eat the frog raving (laughs) fans what was it yep lead the field lead the field field. the goal is to improve everything is our branding getting better is our marketing getting better is our social media getting better are the internal processes of transaction you know from start to close is that getting better so it's it's improving and improving improving that's really the goal setting i think that an area we can improve is getting more specific to you know we want this number of listings, right. this dollar volume, but we've never operated that way. And it's worked pretty well of just improve from the year before, from the month before. So I think we'll probably continue with that type of, kind of big picture goal setting. It sounds like just one more. Yeah. Right. Right. It, it truly is. Right. Just yeah. do bit better. Just yeah. keep getting better. Uh, So question for you, you've mentioned multiple times now that you work with your family, your mom, your sister, your aunt, uh, I mean, and then it's actually three families. I adore my mother and my father and my brother and my sister. I love them dearly. And if you're listening, I want you, I'm I'm, I'm emphasizing dearly, but I don't know (laughs) that I can go and work with them every single day. I work with my mom kind of, but in a completely different city, in a completely different arena. You guys are working transactions which are already stressful with family every day what's that like the good the bad the ugly i need to know (laughs) (laughs) yeah so a lot of people um have that same question and we are we're very tight-knit close family so my younger sister hillary that i work with she lives literally right across the street from me my mom lives you know five blocks away from us my other sister lives 10 blocks away from us we're we're very tight, but I think part of it is the, the field that if we were working in, let's say it was a, a Hertzberg, Hertzberg and Hertzberg law firm, and we were on offices next to each yeah. other, working on the same cases with same clients, I don't think it would work. We have very different 
personalities, different strengths and weaknesses. But in real estate, it really does work because we each have kind of our own clients that we're focused on. We collaborate with them. We support each other's listings, each other's buyers, but we each kind of run our own businesses within the business. Right. And I think that independence and mutual respect and aligned goals allows us to work very closely together. I mean, it's, you know, there's complications because we take off the mother son hat, the <laughs> brother sister hat. I wake, you know, I woke up this morning. I have a call. My mom's calling me at 7.30 AM and she believes in, if somebody doesn't pick up, you just call five more times because <laughs> then they'll really yes. I might have it. taught a couple of my agents that also. I tell them if they don't answer, hang up, call again. <laughs> 80% of the time they answer the second time. So sorry about that. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's that's a good, so she'll keep and so I basically start the morning. I have a call with her first thing in the morning, and I'm speaking to her at the end of the day. And the same with my sister. And we, you know, we make it work. It's it's Look, there are the complications here. Downside: we're at a family dinner, and my dad, and my wife, and my sister's husband, and my other sister's fiance—they hear way too much about real estate, so it's hard to turn off. Oh, uh, but like at trust, table too. <laughs> exactly. You know what's nice is that in a ver- real estate, especially residential in this strong market, it's extremely competitive. And when you have people that have your back right. and have the same goals and intentions, it's it's pretty incredible. Uh, every now and then, you know, it, it's, it's, it can be hard, but for us, it really works. And, and there's different kind of dynamic of, you know, my mom has her certain mentality. We have a different mentality. She calls it, you know, new school, old school, (laughs) or however you want to think about it, but we just make it work. So cool. Thank you. All right. So you talked about how you and your sister and your, your mom and your, you guys all kind of have your, have your different clients, your different customers that you're working with. How do you go out and, and find those customers? And then how do you prepare for those big listing appointments? So I guess I'll take the second part of the question first. The, the preparing for listings, we, we definitely do our research. And the conversations we have before, whether I'm going on the listing or my mom or we're going together or my sister, when we're, when we're sharing the comps and going over with each other, we're definitely challenging each other in a way that, well, are you sure that, you know, it can hit that price per foot because that view is actually Southeast and the one that sold is Northeast. And I actually saw that one and I sold that and you sold this and that that property has higher ceilings and lower ceilings. So it's, it's a pretty interesting collaborative process that we each have different perspectives and we have different tastes, right. which is kind of like the market. Right. My mom right. saw a home recently and she fell in love with it. And I went to see it. I had a very different perspective and we have different tastes and preferences. And uh, so the preparation, I think part of it is the, the market analysis that we do a very good job of, of kind of challenging each other through discussion and also there's a collective brain power that between the whole team of eight of us, it's almost 100% of the time, one of us have, has either sold the comp, been in the comp. <laughs> so we're intimately, right. you know, we know the market. And then the other side of preparation is we do some role play with each other. We should do more of it, but we definitely try like difficult issues and industry stuff and kind of how would you handle this? And it's not that we copy each other because we each have very different kind of styles and we're, we're all authentic to who we are, but we'll do it with the team. And we have, we have a meeting twice a week and we'll, this situation came up, this issue in negotiation, how did you handle it? This problem in inspections, what did you say? How did you say, how did they respond? So that type of preparation we really do. And then as far as sourcing new business, um, we each have our own ways, you know, there's the, like, for some people, prospecting is like a bad word. Like not a, us. Not in real estate. No, no you guys are on board. No, you're absolutely <laughs> right. Agents, when they hear it, they run. But you're talking to three real estate sales instructors who we're so glad that you're saying this because we're like, please open your ears. Right. Practice, practice, practice. Right. Eat, eat that frog is like exactly. It's, it's and I know that people you know, that are in different industries. I've recruited quite a few people from the legal world as attorneys that have come over and started selling real estate (laughs) or just friends doing different things. And 
one of the things I hear from, from people coming into the industry from another industry or already in real estate, not doing well, reaching out saying, hey, can you give me some tips to do better? Sure. And I connect with them. I have a coffee or a call or a Zoom or and many times they'll say, you know, I really don't like prospecting. Mm -hmm. And what I usually ask them is, what, what does that mean to you? Right. Well, they, they always say cold calling. I don't like to cold call people. So I try to get them to start thinking, okay, you don't like cold calling, but what about like, you know, reaching out to people via Instagram, letting them know something or sharing a market report or going to, you know, a networking event or reaching back to somebody that you helped find a home and seeing how they're doing and letting them know their neighbors sold, you know, all the right. stuff that you guys, I've heard all of you teach and teach and teach. And, but so it's kind of changing the mentality on prospecting. You don't, if you're great at cold calling, then cold call people. And if you're terrible at cold calling, but you write beautiful emails, write people market reports, or, you know, everybody's got their own mm -hmm. way of prospecting. So I think we all do it, but we do it in different ways. Uh, my, my mom is definitely like, we'll pick up the phone and call anybody. She'll, she, people ask her to, you know, drum up business. She says like, she, she starts on her phone on the A's, she calls her A's, she calls B and she goes through the alphabet and within five or 10 calls, she's on a listing presentation. So. Oh my gosh. I want to see yeah. that list. <laughs> I, I got to tell you a story about your mom and I don't think she knows sure. this. <laughs> sure. I remember it was Jen blue one year. We happened to be on the same flight, except you guys were uh, in a different section on the plane. We, <laughs> I was behind the curtain. We'll just say that much. But I, I saw your mom standing up like she was the flight attendant in first class, walking around, introducing herself to people on the plane. And I'm like, she is a genius. Right. I'm like, I don't think I've ever told anyone that, but I'm like, that's right. They can't Sitting really ducks. go anywhere, right? <laughs> I, loved it. I loved it. It's incredible. She. We, we joke that she holds court and what's crazy is she'll start conversations and usually, you know, someone's speaking to the random person next to them at a table on a vacation. They're like, get away from me. Yeah. And with her, they're like, they, they want more. They have more questions for her. They want to ask what she's, where's her favorite place? What is she yeah. doing? She, she has a magnetic personality that uh, it's pretty remarkable, but the, but, but creating business, I think our business is 80, 90% mm -hmm. referral. But people think when you say that, that that means you just sit back and you wait for your past clients to call you, yeah. right? And you guys are all shaking your heads because <laughs> you all know, but you know that many agents feel that way. And it's not when your business is 80, 90% referral, you're, you have a huge part of that right. action. Right. Those referrals, you're creating that magic. And, and I heard the interview, the podcast that you did with Nancy Corey, you guys were having the discussion about you know, it should be enough just to deliver exceptional service that you get future referrals, but it's the world's not a perfect mm -hmm, place yeah. and it doesn't always work like that. And, and that I felt was such an important discussion that you guys were having, which is so true about growing your business and keeping your past clients. And then everybody has their own kind of niche and you need to find your expertise that like, you know, within our business, I work with a lot of developers right. uh, in right. terms of you know, from, from consulting to coming up with floor plans to selling land. Um, and I assist a lot of people that I will never sell their projects because they're multifamily projects in a market that I'm right. not focused on, right. but I will do the research for them. I'll do the analysis. I'll connect with them. I'm not going to probably sell their project or sell it to them, but I all of a sudden made a relationship with, Absolutely. you know, 10 wealthy developers, investors, different people, and the business comes back. And the business comes back and, and saying yes to opportunities makes a huge difference in this business because it's always about who you meet, who you connect with, but it's how do you connect with them? Do they respect you at the end of it? Did you, did you add value to what they're doing? And if you add value and assist people, business comes back to you. A hundred percent. I got to tell you, I, I feel like I've known you guys for a while now. You sold a billion dollars last year, but you say yes. When I ask you to speak to an AMP class of 10 people, you say you give so much back to your industry, but you're so right. You give value to everyone around you and people want to work with people like that. And so you have to create that, that, that opportunity and you do so by saying yes. So I love that. I appreciate that. I, I feel like I had a huge opportunity with coming into a, a very difficult business, especially the first year where most people give up or flush out. 
and I had an incredible mentor in my mom. Yeah. And she really taught me. I mean, she, you know, it was sink or swim. There was no slow training program. It was day <laughs> one, go show properties, go do this, go figure that out. But it was an incredible learning experience. And I feel that part of it is if you do well in this business, you have an obligation to help other people. And two, you learn, like when you're sharing, you learn from new people, from old people, people who have just started in the industry and things happen. Magic happens when you get out there and go. And it doesn't have, you don't have to be the speaker on the panel, attending something in the audience and somebody you sit next to and that you meet yes. and these relationships, right. it's just incredible years later, what happens and the business that comes out of it. So, yeah, I think that, um, you know, everyone's talking about the seller's market and how strong it is. And right. I know down there, you guys are on fire. So what do you think the biggest challenge is right now in our market? So the biggest challenge by far, I think you nailed it, nailed it is that there's almost no inventory, especially for sing single family homes. So we are having to work extremely hard and we have a lot more buyers than we have sellers. Right. Uh, dramatically, more than I've seen in my career. This is since, you know, 2009. So we've worked really hard to find people that would consider selling. And the puzzle and what we hear over mm -hmm. and over is, I understand my home is worth more than it ever has been in the history mm -hmm. of time. <laughs> However, where am I going? How much is that going to cost right. me? How am I going to get there? Right? So that that's... Right. And what if I can't find a place to go? Exactly. So, so, so you know, we're, that's, we're problem solvers. And the harder it is... People complain, you know, that it's getting difficult. There's nothing out there. I was speaking to an agent today. We were joking. I have a ton of respect for her and it's mutual. And she was saying, this business is making me crazy because I have buyers. I have nothing to sell them. Like, and I, my reaction is this is extraordinary because the value of the agent has gone up exponentially. Yes. That this whole idea of like, you know, we're going to get replaced by Zillow's algorithm or the new disruptor or whatever they want to call themselves. <laughs> the agent has never been more important because you're solving a very complicated problem, which is somebody needs to sell their place or may sell their place That's if they great. can buy something else. They want to get into that place. They don't want to rent in between. There's health concerns of COVID. There's all these different elements that you have to figure out. So we're making it work. It's getting people, educating them on different areas when they're selling, um, finding them, shifting their mentality. Maybe they're selling a home. Well, there's a lot of condo inventory. Now it's starting to decrease and the condo market's going up. But if, yeah. if you can explain to somebody who's owned a home for a while, or maybe even two years, it's gone up significantly, but that they can do the trade of selling the home and moving to a condo where there's more inventory in the condo market and, and people say, well, I don't want to live in a huge building. Okay. Here's a boutique building with only eight units. Hey, um, I need this. I don't want a doormat. Okay. This is a building without a doormat with a doormat, figuring out, you know, all the alternatives and then getting people to consider other markets that maybe, you know, we're in Miami beach. Maybe they were only thinking Miami beach, but I introduced them to Miami shores or to hey. Fort Lauderdale or different areas and just trying to figure out. And then, if you can't find anything, then what about a post occupancy? Maybe yeah. the buyer will buy and rent back to them for six months. We've done more yes. post occupancy <laughs> since yes. COVID I'm sure. than we have in 10 years, yep. right? Yeah. And it's so valuable to be able to have a closing and stay in your home and take your time. Oh, I wish. Off, right? <laughs> when I moved, I'm pretty sure I lived out of a Hampton Inn for two weeks at one point. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, I have a follow up question to that because, and, and Pam and Laura, you probably have been getting this a lot in your classes. You know, I'm, I'm reaching out to buyers and uh, they keep telling me they, they want to wait. They want to wait till things calm down. So what do you tell a customer that asks you that? They're going to wait till the interest rates at 18% again. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's part. That's a very good answer. So that question is coming from buyers right. and sellers, right? I mean, sellers that are waiting a few things is what some are like. It's, you know, the market could be go up even more. So I'm waiting for that. But usually this is a, this is buyer mentality and a buyer question of, you know, price have gone up too fast and I'm not going to buy right now. So a couple of things that, you know, I try to system with that logic. Well, what's your alternative? So you're in a rental now, your lease is over. The landlord will renew. Great. You can rent again. The landlord is not going to renew, which seems to be the case because rents have gone up and many landlords are selling. Right. So what's the, what's, what are we doing? 
follow, let's go down that path. You want to rent something else. The same right. home that you're renting now for 7,000 is now renting for 12, you know, or you could purchase something at that price point, lock in a low rate. Your, your rent payment might be the same as your monthly mortgage payment. Let's at least do the analysis. Think about it. And the tax advantages are huge and rates will go up. But the other thing is I try to remind people from a real place that, you know, my clients, the majority of them are lifetime clients. These are relationships that when they sell, I'm going to be selling. When they're buying, they're going to be buying, leasing, everything in between. If they need a good plumber, I'm going to give them a good plumber, full service, as, as, as all of you do. You know, I work with a lot of people in the finance industry, uh, from hedge funds and private equity. And it's a certain mentality of this is the percentage gain, and they're very spreadsheet-oriented and, and very focused on price increases and global economic factors and domestic economic factors, but I try to get them to stop thinking about it as buying a stock, right? Right. You're not like, you know, you're, and, and they're not, you know, investing in a fund and it is a huge investment, but it's where you're going to live. It's where you're going to raise your family. It's where you're going to join the community. It's, it's all those things. Right. So yes, it's important how much you, you, you know, you spend on the property and you have to be comfortable. It has to be in your budget. But you don't have to hit the mark and buy the, you know, the cheapest, best timing, because usually that property that you think you've got the lowest per foot and the lowest price in the record, there's a reason. It was on the busiest street under the light pole with, you know, there's an Next issue. Next to the power plant. Next to the power plant, right. <laughs> so, so, so that shift of like, are, could you save 10%? Maybe. Could it go up 10%? Maybe. Nobody has the crystal ball. But find something you're comfortable with for now, and you don't have to hit the market right on the exact moment. Because if you do, then you know when the market's falling, you might not have be able to get financing. There's all these different right. factors. So I, I kind of explore the path. And to be honest, in some situations, when people don't know where they want to live, they're going to be moving soon after. There, you know, all these different factors. I say you're right. We should find the rental. Right. You're going to pay a premium. But you should just, you know, bite the bullet, pay a premium for a year, and then we'll buy something. So I think really listening, getting the full financial picture, going through all the options. But in many times, it's, it's just kind of more of an emotional thing, a buyer stopping them. And we have clients that I, my heart goes out to them, and I've tried to convince them. But over the last three years, as the market has increased yeah. and increased and increased, they've been waiting for a decrease, yeah. and they're completely priced out of the market. Yeah, they waited too long. Right. Well, and, and you're absolutely, it's, it, what's the end goal? What's the end game here? Right. Is it is it saving money or is it finding a home to start your family in or to, you know, relocate to that that new job? And it's so funny that you mentioned that because I've been in real estate literally since I was like, what, four years old? <laughs> and uh, when it came time for my husband and I to buy our first home, I remember it was back in 2013 and, you know, everything you learn goes out the window and it's your transaction because it's a Definitely. very emotional process. We were engaged and uh, I remember looking at probably, I'm pretty sure my mom almost fired me as her buyer too. Uh, <laughs> realtors make the worst clients. Yes. Uh, but I, uh, I remember seeing like 53 homes or something crazy like that. And I finally told her, I'm like, mom, I'm done. Like Juan and I, we're just going to rent for a year. She's like, that word is not allowed in my presence. You know better. You are, you're so close. And, and my husband's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be my mother-in-law. She's like, so in my business, like leave us alone. And let me tell you something. She kept nagging and I'm so glad that she did because when we bought six years later, I mean, the equity that we built, had we waited even that one year, we would have missed out in about like, uh, probably about six to seven percent equity in just that one year that we earned yeah, on our life changing absolutely and, and i'm like oh my gosh mom thank you so sometimes we don't realize that when we we, we don't want to pressure a customer into doing something that they're not comfortable with but at the same time sometimes we know a little bit better right we're the professional right. and our guidance is not just so that we collect the paycheck but it's to help them also collect you know that equity check when they go to sell down the road so well, and uh, we were just uh, in my AM class today, actually, we were talking about uh, somebody who rented a, an apartment in uh, Weston in the area, uh, of course, suburban West Broward. Uh, they rented it and literally just got their one year renewal and the company was raising her rent of a $2,000 a month apartment, $500. Wow. 
So imagine that you're that renter. You just spent all the money renting, moving, getting your kids in school. And now you either have to come up with 20% more um, where you would have the security and the stability of knowing once you moved into that house, that was yours until you chose to leave. So I think that's important to say too. Yeah, it's a really good you know, point. Your choices. I would just add in this conversation, the, the other challenge, you know, people are having buyers, a challenge with buyers in the industry that are thinking, we're just waiting, we're just waiting. And then the market, you know, keeps going up and they're getting priced out and they're not buying and they're stuck and their leases are ending and they're scrambling. The other thing that some of the sellers that we work with, or I have worked with over the years, especially this past year, they've said, they've come up with a number, not based on comps, but just, you know, feeling that I think my house is worth X and, and, and they're, you know, we'll say, I'm not selling unless I get this number. And, and I'm explaining, look, you're in the strongest market in Miami of all time. The market has brought you these type of offers. You're not getting the number you have in mind. I understand you feel it's worth it for whatever reasons. It's the market telling you, not me. These are where the offers are. But I'm not saying to you that if you wait, it could be a year, it could be five years, eventually we'll get to that number that you dreamed of that you made up. However, by the time the market gets to that number, all the you're going to be buying something else. Guess what? Yeah. Those properties are going to go up in value as well. So now you've waited, you, you know, and, and there was a reason, and I remind clients, there was a reason you were selling. You were trying to move closer to your kids right. or closer to work or out of state or retirement. And you're holding up your life plan, waiting for something that may or may not happen. Unknown timeline. And when it gets there, Maybe the market does get to that number you have in mind, but then the trade doesn't make sense. And that resonates with a lot of people. I know it's a very obvious point, but I think for all of us in the industry, this is what we do all day. And for somebody who's selling one home in a lifetime, you have to be really patient in that conversation that seems so obvious to you because you're trying to help them. They feel like you're just trying Mm -hmm. to sell or just trying to close the deal. And it's just, it's patience and making sure you're educating them in the right way and taking time for them to receive it and digest it is, makes a huge difference. Uh, so Danny, we've talked a lot about, you know, practice and scripts and, you know, you're in front of sellers and we come across the same points in many of our listing presentations. So how do you face and how do you speak to sellers who are saying, eh, no, uh, I'm going to wait. Uh, I'm going to wait and see. Like, do you guys have scripts that you all work together with as a team? So we don't have scripts, but we do share conversations and we do share kind of, you know, approaches that have been effective. Right. And we do go back to each other after a meeting, after a listing, whether we go in together or, or by ourselves. And there's kind of a recap of here was the challenge. Here was the objection. This is what I said. What would you have said? And through that dialogue, we, you know, see different approaches and some things that, you know, my mom or sister or Jill or Judy or Nathan, anybody, you know, Kara, Felice, they might have an approach. And I, to me, it doesn't make sense. I'm not going to say, right. it. you know, everybody, everybody has a different way, but I think the patience part of it is part of it is, is my personality. I, I am a patient person. I think my practice, I I try to do it every day. I don't get it every day, but often is I practice yoga and that yoga movement meditation does give me a lot of peace and patience and I can be very focused. And when I'm with somebody, I'm completely uh-huh. with them. I don't care what the next appointment is, the next hour. And I think when you're, when you're patient, you're focused, you're in your zone. And, and some people get there through, you know, the runners, it's that runner high you know, idea or, mm-hmm. or walking or, you know, but for me, that's, that's been a great practice, but I think that that patience is really important because, you know, we process as, as agents, we're like already ahead because we've seen the thing in the same situation over right. and over and to us, it's not so obvious. And I've learned with people, if you give them time, they usually come around. So it's hard. It's like listening more than you, you know, you speak. And that's a very effective part of our business. You're asking questions, but the patience is something you either have like within you, or you can really work at and improve. And that makes a, it makes a very big difference in our business. So I love how you're talking about, like you've included yoga and it's helping you be patient and more centered and more focused. How do you keep uh, learning? How do you stay fresh? Are you, is it, do you have somebody that you look to? Are they books? How do you keep reeducating yourself in this business? 
So I think that's a, a great question and a critical element. So part of my like, you know, coffee talk or pep talk of the new agent is a, a few different things, but one of them is a commitment to learning. And I'm a bit of a news junkie. I read the Wall Street Journal. I'm on Bloomberg, CNBC, Miami Herald, Real Deal, South Florida Business Journal. I go through all real estate and business related, you know, news publications every morning and every night because the trends are so important. If the currency in, real, in, in, in Brazil, if the real is up or down, that could impact the buying and selling in Miami. If, you know, interest rates are going up or down, all these different factors, what happens in the rest of the world impacts South Florida and, and, and arguably impacts every market. Right. But you see mm -hmm. it more dramatically in New York, LA and Miami, all these international markets. So I also enjoy it. I want to know what's going on in the industry news. So I think staying on top of the real estate and business related news is something that I enjoy and it really helps in my business. I often see, you know, a client of mine works in trucking logistics and I see about a new disruption in that field. I'm going to share the article. I'm connecting with the client. That's great. The other thing Genius. is, right. So, so I, when I read the news, I think, and sometimes I see things that help somebody, right. So I know somebody works in such and such business and this is opening and I let them know. And so I, I definitely like, help people with, you know, stories that are relevant to them, but I also really enjoy it. And I'm constantly sharing with our team, maybe sometimes too much, but I think they enjoy it. <laughs> there's another um, article for Danny again. <laughs> kind of like how a article. used to feel great until a billion made you feel a whole lot it's, better. It's, the news is just <laughs> part of it. I think that business related books and real estate related books and podcasts like we're doing right now and YouTube videos, you can get little mm -hmm. gems from. And so I think kind of that business oriented, you know, podcast videos, books, they're, they're really great. And, um, and asking people like what's, which what we did today, like sharing with people, what's helped them and to keep learning and be committed to it. And I try to listen into, you know, different zoom panels whenever I can and hear from different agents in different markets. And it doesn't matter if they're selling 500 thousand dollar properties or fifty thousand dollar properties in North Carolina right. or twenty million dollar right. homes in Beverly Hills, there are just gems that you get from different people and different agents. So you know, tune in and pick those up and really focus on that because it'll help your career. I love it. I love that. I I, I have a follow up question to that because people that have been listening to our podcast that that are just getting started in the real estate business, they're probably listening to Danny Hertzberg of the Jill Zeter Group, who uh, sold a billion dollars last year. How can I learn anything from this guy? Like, <laughs> right. And so tell us about your first listing, like when you first got started, what was that like? How did you prepare for that first time? Were you nervous? So I was definitely nervous when I first started. It wasn't listings in the beginning. I was doing, this was 2009. I was doing a lot of like entry level rentals, uh, which I, I used. A lot of people were complaining about rentals and that you're chasing tenants and landlords to get paid a commission and they weren't paying 5%. They weren't even paying half a month's rent. And the first month's rent was barely $900. But what I use that experience to do is every building I went into, I learned the layout of the lines. The 01 line faced the ocean, the 02 faced the street. I learned you had to be over the 10th floor to clear this view, what the valet was like, what the lobby was like. So it was a great education because when you take a, a, a tenant out, you see so much inventory. So I learned every building and that was a really valuable experience. And then many of those tenants turned into buyers and those landlords turned into sellers. So that was a good starting place. The foreclosures and short sales, that was where the business was. And I dug into it and I had the legal background that helped there. But it was a, a very challenging area and just learning on the go. The listings, I had the fortunate opportunity to, to go with my mom. Right. And for the first few, I didn't say much. <laughs> um, I was really listening. And then she would put me on the spot like, because she put me right on the spot because the client would be like, well, what do you do as far as your digital advertising? And she's like, you're talking to me, you know, <laughs> and, so, uh, so, so that was kind of the beginning and I would listen and watch her and she had her certain style. And then I would go with Jaliber and she had her style and Felice and then learning from, you know, different styles of people and how they would respond. The other thing I, I remind people coming into the business is that oh, 
if you're holding open houses for agents or you're opening up for inspections or appraisals or you're helping with showings, when the agent, the other agent comes into the property, you have such a good opportunity to watch them and see how do they show, how do they respond to their clients? What did they do good? What did they do bad? How would you have responded? What can you take away? And like each showing and you go through a week and you've had 50 showings, if you don't improve what you're doing from that, you know, you're missing a huge opportunity. And you know, some of them are obvious. The agent that walks in with their client and they get on their phone and you start showing, you're like, well, I would never do that. So like, you know, some things, but some things are very subtle. Yeah. Like the body language, how close are they to their clients? Are they realizing that they have a client that, you know, when I'm shopping in a, in, in a store, I want my space. I'm going to find what I want. And when I have a question, I'll ask someone right. who works there. Other people want the salesperson right on top of them or they think they're not getting good service. But if you don't have that kind of, you know, instinct of what your customer, client, person seeing the property wants, then you're going to make them in an uncomfortable position. They're either going to be frustrated that you're not attentive enough, right. or they're going to be very frustrated that you're on top of them. So that was something I watched a lot and I picked up on. I never thought it would have been to do anything, but just that part of showing. So little things like that. And then responses to questions. When people ask about value and what it's worth, and the agent starts talking to them about how pretty the sunsets are, <laughs> they want to, you know, pull their hair out. And the same thing is when they're asking them, what's it, you know, what are the great restaurants yeah. about here? And the agent is telling them the price per foot is so low on this property. It's like, you're missing the boat. Like, Read not your speaking. audience. <laughs> yeah. So that is like a, a takeaway. And I make mistakes. We all do. But I try to learn from them. And I try to learn from the mistakes of others that are right in front of me right. and improve. That's great. All right, Danny, here's the, an easy one. Where can the people find you? Where can our listeners follow you on social media and, and keep up with what you're doing? So Instagram at Danny Hertzberg and um, shoot me a DM if you have questions. It was great being here. You guys, Laura, Cassandra, Pam, fantastic podcast, great conversation. And uh, thank Aww, you. Thanks. Thanks for being so accessible. You could just slide into his DMs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dan, Danny, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Danny. Thank you. All right, guys. See you later. Best to, best to all of you. See you guys. Take care. Bye. Next week, we are talking with Kate Rossi, Regional Executive Vice President of NRT's Eastern Region and one of the most influential women in real estate as ranked on the Swan Pole Power 200 list. As Kate would say, kids, you don't want to miss it. Don't forget to listen, subscribe, and review wherever podcasts are found. And share this episode with a friend. Join us next week for another unfiltered conversation about real estate. This is Pam, Cassie, and Laura on Resi Talk, reminding you to leave your mark. <laughs>